Good morning, everybody. Good morning. morning. We are back to continue this saga of the Sure Word Bible Study, part two of the origin of evil. Every time I say that, man, I just think we need that that tone. Do it. I know you wanted to. He's like, I'm gonna do it. Not gonna do it. I'm gonna imagine this echoey voice. The origin of evil. Evil. That's right. There it is. My man. Last week, oh, <clears throat> we ended it off with basically wrapping up the whole idea. It becomes clear that the real issue in the war that began in heaven is about God's character, whether or not he can be trusted and whether one can safely follow his word. That's where we left that off last week. So this week we're going to try to get through and finish um, the rest of this lesson. And so, our question that we're basically trying to answer is, what is the origin of evil? That's in essence what it's all about. What is the origin of evil? So, um, let's check out here for uh, page 22, the first passage that they give us to read. Isaiah 46, 9 and 10. Remember the former things of old, for I am God, and there is no other... I am God, and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things that are not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand, and I will do all my pleasure. What do you think of that passage there? The author states that that's kind of like God knows the future. That's what God's declaring there. The end from the beginning. And so the the par paragraph right below that passage, um, the lesson asks a question. This being the case, many have asked, why didn't God destroy Satan before the war ever started? Didn't he see all the suffering that would result? Has anybody asked you that question? Or have you had conversations with anyone like that? Yep. Yeah. Share a little bit. How'd that, how'd that pan out? What did you think through that? How did, how did you answer? Or did you even have an answer? I didn't have an answer. Knowing that God's on trial, mm. <clears throat> he had to let it play out. He would have lost the other two-thirds of heaven if he just snuffed out Satan in the other third of heaven and left, mm. left with him. And now, a little bit later here in this lesson, it brings that point out pretty pretty good. That's a really good point. I'm sorry I read ahead. It's fine. But, I mean, it's, we're going to cover it today. Yeah. yeah, you know, that's a great point to connect that. Why didn't God destroy Satan before the war ever started? If he's so loving, why didn't he just end Satan? Why did he let this play out? Why did my mom have to die? Why did my baby have to die? Those are all questions that we'll find, man. All of them. And then check out Isaiah 63.9. Someone read that for us, top of page 23. In all their afflictions he was afflicted, and the angel of his presence saved them. In his love and in his pity, he redeemed them, and he bore them and carried them all the days of old. What do you think of that first line? In all their afflictions, he was afflicted. How do you connect with that? Does that sound like an angry God, or does that sound like... No. No? no more like a, like a parent. <clears throat> when they see their child suffer, they also suffer. Yeah, man. This breaks my heart, too. 
Yeah, and then there in that paragraph following that verse, uh, God has not changed. He is still afflicted and grieved with his wayward children. A question I have on that sentence. Do you, you guys follow where I'm reading that from? Uh, the second the second paragraph right on page 23, right below Isaiah 63. He is still afflicted and grieved with his wayward children. How do you interpret that? Does it sound like the author is saying he is afflicted and grieved with his wayward children, meaning because they're bad? Or he is grieved and afflicted with them, as Angel described it. That's a little, it could go either way there, couldn't it? When you're reading that. I'm grieved and afflicted with you because you really pissed me off, or something like that. Or, I'm really grieved and afflicted with you because I feel your pain. I care about you. Yeah. Those two principles are two different pictures of God, for sure, aren't they? And how you interpret that. Follow, follow down, and then he said, God is love, and he created the entire universe to operate on the principle of love, but you can't make someone love you. Love must be given freely. There can be no love where there is no freedom. And then he points out, that's the only way Lucifer could have rebelled in heaven itself. Because of God's higher regard for individual freedom, God must allow sin to run its course as painful as it is. There are people who struggle with that concept. How do we understand that in a way that makes God look good and makes sense? Any thoughts about that? Why did God let that happen? Well, if God, you know, if we're his children, right, and that would include Lucifer and all the other angels, right, because right. he created them, then, so if you had a child, and before they were born, or before whatever, right, like before they did something wrong, if you knew what they were going to do, would you just kill them beforehand to keep that from happening? Like, no, right? Like, even if it was something really terrible, because you would want to give them the opportunity, maybe, right? To, you know, even if, like, you knew pretty certainly this was going to happen, like, that wouldn't be a loving person or a parent in general. So, why would we expect God to do that if we wouldn't do that to our own child? The technology is coming out more and more where, where they're thinking they can predict if somebody's going to commit a crime. And they're going to try stopping it. <clears throat> or they're going to do something wrong. Um, so is, in a societal question, are we then playing God when we do that? Well, I mean, like, you know, when I had him, right, like, they offer you the ability to have, you know, to go through the testing to see if there's, you know birth defects right and then you can basically so you can make that choice whether you want to terminate or not so that's basically this person isn't going to be whole or correct so you have the choice to terminate at that point like that's that's not I don't know yeah, but who are we to make that decision right like, yeah it's definitely a contrast because God 
God's insistence on our freedom is so absolute that he has granted us the power to live as though he did not exist if we so choose. And even to that even to that point, if God can see, since God can see from the end to the beginning, he can see it all, you know, he willingly knew if I create Lucifer, then eventually Lucifer is going to start feeling proud pride and selfishness and then he's eventually going to sway a third of the angels and then he's eventually going to deceive Adam and Eve and then he's going to murder my son or in other words try to kill us like and he did it anyway and I think there's an interesting I mean that's really hard to wrap your mind for us to wrap our minds around it's really hard to wrap our minds around but But if you think about um, the lesson here, the last paragraph on 23, he makes an interesting point where if God did kill Satan or if God didn't create somebody because, well, I, I know they're going to do something wrong, so I'm just not going to create them. Then the destruction of Satan, the beginning of the war in heaven, would have been misunderstood and seen as arbitrary and unfair. The consequences of sin would have remained unknown. As the result, in heaven, instead of peace and freedom, there would have been fear, doubt, and unanswered questions. The angels would be saying, you'd better be careful. Remember what God did to Lucifer? Angels would not be freely serving God from love and admiration of his character, but from fear and punishment. That's tough. Because like in our sin condition, man, we think along those lines. We think along the lines of like fear and selfishness, right? Like if if you could, why don't you stop that from happening? A lot of people, you know, like the World Trade Towers, man, terrorists flying the planes into that. You're like, why didn't God stop the terrorists? Dead in their tracks. Save 3,000 plus people. You know, I've had conversations like that with people. You just kind of have to let things play out to see how bad sin is. Yeah. And unfortunately, there are going to be some casualties of that. Innocent casualties. I mean, the daycare there, and, you know, with all those young kids there in the World Trade Center and all that kind of such. I mean, that's just, you know, it's sad. It's mm -hmm. terrible. Yep. But... You know, it's 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 kind of like being in the military. You can, you know, that that real boisterous sergeant that you you do what you have to do so you don't get in trouble, mm -hmm. versus do what you do out of love for the person, so you don't want to hurt their feelings. There's two different ways of doing that. You know, it's like, you know, I do things. For Lola, out of love, not so much out of, oh my, is she going to smack me next? You know, you know what I mean. It's that kind of thing. It's, you know, so it, it God doesn't want automatons. He, right. he doesn't want to have that military type right. obedience out of, oh, I'm going to get in big trouble if I do this. Yeah, that's not love. Mm -mm. Um. There, top of page 24, the author here kind of makes an interesting point about that, that rather God's plan is that through demonstration, the entire universe see for itself the answers to Satan's charges. 
Then, with the first-hand knowledge, everyone can freely and confidently make their own decision about who has the truth, God or Satan. I, I like this point because if the only reason we do or don't do something or believe something is because I said so, then we will always have questions. But if we're allowed the freedom to experience and explore and really, and this is where Paul talks in Romans, let everyone be fully persuaded in their own minds. Because if you are given the freedom to actually experience for yourself and, and be fully persuaded in your own mind, you don't have any more questions. Like you're fully persuaded. You understand it for what it is. And right here, like Angel, I think it was last week you talked about Maybe it was you. I can't remember. Um, like how God will eradicate sin, and like how it will be eradicated permanently. And Nahum one nine says, "What do you conspire against the Lord? He will make an utter end of it. Affliction will not rise up a second time." So how can God? How can how can that be guaranteed that it won't come up a second time? Like sin and selfishness and fear and all of that. Like. There's only, right? How can you guarantee that you're not going to do something a second time? Because you've already experienced what it was like to have it. Yeah. So you don't want to go back. Been there, done there, got the t-shirt, and I ain't going to go back and do that again. I, it's a personal belief sure. that God will only bring people to heaven that are well past that. Hmm that it's selfishness, all that other aspects would have been dealt with here. And, you know, we see the effects of sin and everything mm -hmm. around us. That I, 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 I do think that, you know, like when you read in Revelation or wherever it's talked about where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth, mm. You know, Lord, Lord, the people that call on him mm -hmm. that weren't saved. And it's it's because their hearts were never changed and that they maybe obeyed out of the fear of being lost versus obeying out of a covenant of love. Mm -hmm. Well said. Yeah, well said. Um, the author here, right below Nahum 1.9, I like how he kind of summarizes that up. Um, rebellion and controversy will never rise again. We will be just as free to rebel against God as Lucifer was in the beginning. Do we believe that? Mm -hmm. Freedom we, is freedom. We will be just as free. So if we if we believe what he says there, then God's not holding you accountable. Straight. <coughs> Right? That's an interesting point. Not because we're afraid of what God will do to us, right? He's not holding us accountable, but because we all will have learned from demonstration and experience, Seth, that's what you just said, the pain, the suffering, and death that is caused by sin. It'll be understood that this is the reason sin is wrong and we will want nothing to do with it ever again. In other words, we'll be so persuaded, this is my view, We'll be so persuaded in our own minds that even if God himself said, it's okay, you can do that. No, I'm not going to do that. Because I understand that that's... Right? We're going to hold ourselves accountable. 
There's no game face that's going to fool God. Right. You know, you can keep a nice straight poker face, whatever. You can trick the person sitting across from you by your un, you know, but how can you trick someone that knows your heart? Mm. You can't. It's either, it's got to be legitimate, it's got to be real, the conversion. Or, I mean, you can trick your, you know, people in church. You know, I mean, I've known a lot of people, I'm not judging, but I've known a lot of folks in church that play that role very well when they're in the company of others, but are not that person. Yeah, I think, you know, I think that's just in nature right there. Does anything stand out from you guys for what we've just kind of covered there in those first couple pages? Um, before we kind of jump to the next part here. <clears throat> I see some people thinking. I just think it's, you know, that's a pretty big statement to say, well, it will never happen again, right? Someone never rides out the second time. So, like, there has to be something pretty drastic that happens because, you know, because we, we see the effects of sin every single day here, right? Our entire lives, right? So there's somebody that lives 100 years. They see that every day, right? right. And yet, up until the day they die, like, they are still going to make those choices to go back into sin, so they've seen it and seen it and seen it and seen it thousands of times. Right. And yet, even up until that point, they are still going back. And so at that, like, doesn't mean they're a bad person, right? But, like, they are still falling back into sin. Right. So how, like, there has to be a pretty significant change that happens at some point between our sinful beings and to get us to the point where we are truly accountable for ourselves mm-hmm. and won't fall back into that mm-hmm. because that doesn't happen on earth right like it doesn't it doesn't matter who you are i think there's been two people on earth that that has happened with and that would be enoch and methuselah mm-hmm. two people that god brought to heaven without dying that was elijah elijah thank and you enoch. methuselah is the guy who long, lived the longest thank you for that yeah he was the daddy to enoch i believe that's right that's right. Right? So those are two people who completed what you're talking about and were ready right then and there alive and even got some death. Kind of reminds me of that fable of the uh, scorpion and the frog. Ooh, that's good. Yeah. Make that connection for us. Um, the, they're trying to cross a stream and the scorpion wants to get across the stream and the frog's like, I'm not going to take it because you're going you're gonna to sting me. And the scorpion goes, I promise you I'm not going to sting you. Frog says, I'm not going to take it, because I'll swim you, but I know you're going to sting me and kill me. And the scorpion says, no. So as they swim across the stream, the, the scorpion's on the frog's back. As soon as they get to the other side, the scorpion stings them, kills the frog. And as the frog's dying, he goes, why'd you do that? And the scorpion says, it's in my nature. It's just in my nature. It is what it is. So, so at what point, then, do we find ourselves to be absolutely sinless and how do we declare ourselves clean for for the for god's kingdom to where we're going to go into that world where no one's going to challenge or no one's going to do anything 
That's a big question, man. Well, and like we don't even have that opportunity to <clears throat> practice that truly in this world, right? Like, every why is that? Okay, so it's specifically because everything around us is regulated by an arbitrary system of punishment, right? Like, you speed, you get a ticket, right? Like, you kill somebody, right? You go to jail, right? So, like, there's always that. So, even if at the utmost level you are in control of yourself, and answer to yourself, and you know, like but, there's but Christ says, take listen to the listen to the governments on earth. Right, but my point is like that's always there, right? Regardless of how good you're good, you are at regulating yourself. Like that's always there. So like, how do you know, right, that you're like truly regulating yourself, or there's that thing there that's like going to stop you if you don't it just because that's in your head right like well that's really the reason so like how do you get to that point where you know for sure that like you're choosing to do it because of your character versus because of the worldly rules right that have been put so in can you separate the worldly rules can you live to the worldly rules as well as god's rules well you have to be able to huh? i think it's mindset do you live out of the law of love like you really don't want to hurt somebody because you want to see them succeed and you love them or do you not hurt somebody because you might get caught so but, but like that that line can be really blurred right mm -hmm. like people like you can tell yourself something enough right that untruth becomes truth mm -hmm. so connect that back to with what we're talking about is how how when god says He'll make an utter end of sin, and it won't rise up a second time. Connect that back to that point. How does that fit into that? Paul says in, I don't remember exactly where, but he says, be transformed by the renewing of your minds. And Hebrews says, be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. And First John says, we aren't sure what we will be when he comes but we will we will know that we will be like him because we will see him face to face as he is so there's lots of bible imagery second corinthians 3 18 actually comes up in this lesson um talks about by beholding as in a mirror the law of worship by beholding we become changed Uh, I think Joe, you talked about the idea of nature. It's in your nature. Paul says, you know, put off, put off the old man, the nature of like the old man, and put on the nature of Christ. Philippians, have this mind in you that is also in Christ. Okay, so I'll challenge you, Sarah, on that idea of like, is it even possible for us in this world to practice and live this out? One hundred percent, yes. Every day, every moment, every day. So, in my my view, to connect this back, Bible perfection is not about behavior. About maturity of character so as i understand it if every day you live your life like you said mark operate from the principle of love and when you make a mistake you own it you take responsibility you say that's not who i want to be and you try and you grow and you change that's the process of renewing your mind that's that whole process right but rather than saying whatever 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 okay it comes down to your character. We talked about that here. 
if you're taking responsible for yourself and you're always trying to grow, that shows a character that is receptive to truth. But if you're denying, you're blaming, you're projecting, you're avoiding, you're... Okay? That is a different character. A different person altogether. And you see that play out in Jesus' life. Okay? The thief on the cross. He says, I trust you, God. And God says, you'll be with me in my kingdom. Okay? The thief on the cross has a lot to learn. A lot to learn. He didn't even get a chance to practice living this stuff out. Okay? So how, when the thief on the cross gets to heaven, it, how can there be sure that sin won't rise up in him? He didn't even get an opportunity to practice it. We live in such a degraded form, being so far from creation. Um, we're full of sickness, you know, family histories of illnesses. You know, it, it's like none of us are perfect, you know, at all. And then when Christ comes back, even those that are alive at the time, they'll get a new body, a new mind, new, you know, a new start. You know, you'll be working on 100% rather than the 30% we're working on now. And it's, you know, and it's, it's about the heart, too. It's like... That thief on the cross, he may have had to do that because he had to feed his family or whatever, didn't see another way out. He probably was a fairly decent individual at some point, some layer underneath, he just got caught. Or, in those times, could have been falsely accused and hung up and didn't do anything wrong. But, you know, someone blasphemed and got him in that predicament. Jesus knew that. We don't. We just know him as the thief on the cross. And I, he could have been, though, that he did all those things with a nasty attitude and a nasty heart, but had time to reflect and realize his ways were wrong. You know, there, I, I guess I kind of almost prefer to see it that way because it, it, it can, it covers a lot of people, you know? If you had... A group of people, man, let's just connect it to like, a, like a, a treatment aspect, right? Let's say you've got 50 people in a drug treatment facility, inpatient, okay? And they all chose to be there on their own. They, they chose to come there themselves. What, what choice did they make, right? They're struggling. They have a lot of pain, they have a lot of trauma, they have a lot of behaviors that are that are really damaging to themselves and others. In other words, their life is full of sin. Okay? But what did they choose in their heart? A humble willingness to listen. That's it. A humble willingness to listen. I'm sick, I need help. I acknowledge that you can help me. I'm here to listen. I'm here, I'm here to help. Okay? So if you have heaven. And it's full of sinners like us, people who are infected with fear and selfishness. But we all have a humble willingness to listen. Then we'll always be growing. We'll always be changing. And the, the, that's how I understood the thief on the cross. He sat there and he saw Jesus. He saw the evidence of how Jesus was behaving and responding. We're learning about how God's been demonstrating the evidence to Satan's charges here in this lesson. And, and, and the thief on the cross hung there and he looked at Jesus and he said... I'll listen. I, I, I believe what this guy's all about. He can help me. 
I don't want to live like this anymore. He might have died right you know the next day he didn't get a chance to do any bible studies or, or get any, any kind of growth but the point being his heart was changed I, I can i can do this and that's why jesus said you're going to be in heaven because jesus saw his heart to your point mark says he is a humble willingness to listen and so when he rises in the resurrection he's not going to know diddly squat as we understand it right now what if that thief on the cross had a history before that of being at the Sermon on the Mount, mm. of being in the milieu, mm-hmm. of seeing the miracles. Mm-hmm. We don't know that. We don't. Jesus did, but we don't know that. Speaking and of Jesus is on the cross, he's got one thief on one side, one on the other, one's being a complete curmudgeon, and the other one's wanting to be forgiven. Speaking of miracles, we'll tie this back to our lesson moving forward to page 27. Check this out. Uh, Second paragraph. God is not the source of all miracles. There's a lot of Christians today that believe that if it's a miracle, it's from God, period. The evidence is that there was a miracle. That's how I know God was there, because there was a miracle. But the two verses that he gives us are, you know, 2 Thessalonians. That's a tough word. 2 Thessalonians and Revelation. He talks about Satan disguising himself as an angel of light for evil spirits and demons. They perform signs, which go out to all the kings. Jesus, you know, when Satan was tempting Jesus, he performed miracles. How do you think he got him on top of the temple? Or how do you think he got him up on top of the mountain? Satan was performing miracles right there with Jesus. So... God is not the source of all miracles. Satan and his demons can perform miracles too. Satan works with power and signs and lying wonders to deceive us. Therefore, we must be careful that we do not rely on miracles or the cunning craftiness of men, but trust only in the word of God. So back to the point about the thief on the cross. Say he was there looking at all these miracles that Jesus was doing, but he was he was taking into account everything that he was seeing, all of it. He wasn't just focusing on one point. So Jesus did a miracle. Interesting. But... My, my take is he was also looking at how Jesus was responding. Jesus' own words says, no one can take my life. I lay it down freely. Which means God didn't require Jesus' life. God didn't kill Jesus. Jesus freely laid it down. Which means when Jesus walked up there on Calvary and they had the cross laying on the ground, Jesus looked at the soldier and said, is this where you want me to put my wrist? Now put yourself in that place. You're a Roman soldier fixing a nail under the cross and he's not fighting. He said, is this, am I holding my hand in the right place? And the Roman soldier says, yeah, that's actually the right spot. Okay, go ahead. I'm ready, go ahead. Put yourself there in that moment. That's what Jesus did. There was no struggle. Jesus freely laid down his life. Is this where you want my wrist? So the thief on the cross saw that and went, holy bananas. I can trust that guy. That's why I believe when when God says in Nahum, I'll make an utter end of sin because people will look at the evidence and they'll say, I can trust that guy. 
I'm not doing this again. Thoughts on that? I, mean, I think you can only be like fully persuaded enough, you know, in Jesus' case, to willingly die, right? Like you have to be fully persuaded that you are in the right, mm. right, to do that. If you're going to be, you know, protecting yourself, defensive, you know, reactive, whatever, then you're not fully persuaded at that point. Right, but if you're in the right, there's something there that's like, you know, mm -hmm. I don't believe in that moment. She was like, mm, maybe, like, I mean, you know, in the garden, right? He's oh, like, he waited, asking, yeah, right. Yeah. But like at that point, when he was ready to actually die, he was like, okay, like, he totally had a full understanding of what he was doing and was a hundred percent committed to that. And I think maybe that's where. The difference is between somebody who would be okay in heaven, right, and never and choose to not sin again, right, of their own volition, and somebody that wouldn't be safe in heaven, right? Like if you're not a hundred percent sold, right, a hundred percent persuaded, then you obviously would not be safe. To make a good choice. Yeah. Um, there at the bottom of page 27, it kind of wraps around to finally the answer to our first question, what is the origin of evil? It is answered in Jesus' words to the Pharisees. John eight forty four. You are of your father the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, for he is a liar and the father of it. And then he points out the basic definition of the word father is source. Jesus tells us that the Satan is the source of the lie and thus the origin of evil. And so, from the beginning, his most damaging lies were about God kind of person he is, how God operates, how he functions, his character, how his law works, that you actually can't trust God. He's arbitrary severe. That has been the root of all of Satan's accusations. So, playing devil's advocate, no pun intended, but like, <laughs> so it says, he was a murderer from the beginning. So is that talking about his beginning as the devil or Satan, or his beginning as Lucifer, because that would then say that God created a defective being. Mm -hmm. Right? He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand the truth because there is no truth in him. The beginning would say from when he was created. Mm. So how do you make sense of that? How do you understand that in a way that makes God look good? Great question. Well, I, 
fucking rabbit hole. This subject's real easy, but I'm not. Well, Lucifer was prideful. And another way to see a simplification of pride is just lying to yourself. Mm-hmm. So, and he had the free will to do that. Well, Ezekiel 20. Hello. So in that particular instance, it's like he saw the, uh, he saw that, uh, what, nine week tonogram and saw that he was not perfect and still let him live. Hmm. So that's to imply that God originally didn't create something perfect. Well, he has, he still had the choice because we're, I think we're all, well, I guess when we're thinking of angels and everything, we're all capable to do right or wrong. Even the angels. So look at, in the beginning of this lesson, Ezekiel 28, this is God's, you know, writing through the prophet Ezekiel, description of Lucifer, where he says, thus says the Lord God, you were the seal of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the Garden of Eden. He goes to describe him, how beautiful he was. The workmanship of your timbrels and pipes was prepared for you on the day you were created. You were the anointed cherub who covers. I established you. The holy mountain of God. You walked back and forth fiery stones. You were perfect in your ways from the day you were created. Now you flip over, and to your point, Sarah, John 8, Jesus' own words. He was a murderer from the beginning. So how do you make sense of that? Here's God saying you were perfect from the day you were created. And now here's Jesus saying you were a murderer from the beginning. How do you make sense of that? Is God contradicting himself? Maybe maybe he meant uh, you were a murderer since the beginning of sin. Ah, I like where you're going with that. Right? Because the lesson did bring out that in the Bible, when a person's character changed, their name changed. So, so Satan, right, was Lucifer perfect until iniquity was found in you and your character was changed and now you became Satan. The murderer. The murderer from the beginning. That's how I make sense of that. He's the one that started it, so. <clears throat> From the beginning, right, yeah. when he started. That's how it makes sense of that. So just to wrap up the last paragraph there, it talks about Jesus, the source of all lies. Jesus, or Satan, is the source of all the lie, and thus the origin of evil. From the beginning, his most damaging lies have been about God, which, to this day, unfortunately, most of the world believes. So in our next lesson, we've spent two weeks now focusing on the origin of evil and just kind of comprehending some of that stuff. The next lesson really talks about what is God like. And we begin to kind of unpack that some from an old... Old Testament perspective, which is actually really good for those who have had a chance to read ahead. Any final thoughts? Yeah? I do, but it's it's further in the beginning of the lesson, of the start of 22. Wrap it up. Where it talks about how when, uh, when Eve and Adam, they sin, mm-hmm. and 
there was a change in their hearts and all that. And there, there was now a, a change. There was now a separation between them and God. Mm-hmm. But it was because his presence would have killed them. Mm-hmm. See, before, mm-hmm. when they were still pure of heart, mm-hmm. he was, they were in his presence, and it did not devour them, you know? Mm-hmm. And so that separation where he had to then separate himself from them mm-hmm. in order not to kill them, um, because that's just how powerful his presence was. It just, it gives me a whole different picture of God because mm-hmm. we always think, well, he separated himself, you know, because, you know, things are just bad down here or whatever, you know what I mean? When you go to the understanding of that, where he actually took himself away from it, not because he didn't want to be there, but because being there would have been your death. Mercy. So, yes. So, I mean, it just opens up your eyes to a different God than I grew up with. Mmm. Well said. So. Yeah, but then how do you understand, like, in heaven, like, there had to be a time... Like, where the whole, like, Lucifer didn't sin. Like, there were, like, I mean, generally how, like, I understand, like, you wouldn't just, like, there wouldn't be like, okay, now he's perfect, and then he sinned, and he instantly gets kicked out of heaven, right? Like, there would have to be a time of, like, okay, like, he'd have to gather all his angels, right? Like, go and, you know, um... And obviously at that point, like, he was still in heaven, which means he was actively sinning and still in God's presence, but didn't die. That's a good point. I look at this, these these points, these are great questions, and here's how I look at it. God built the universe to operate on the principles of love. So if a person chooses, like Lucifer, to live outside of the principle of love, then life can't exist there. Okay? Here's how I how I look at this. If God were to have allowed the natural consequences of Lucifer's actions to happen instantaneously, the lesson points this out. Questions would be unanswered. Right? The the angels would think that God killed Lucifer mm-hmm. because sin didn't exist prior to. So God had to let this thing play out. Okay? We've got to let this play out and see what happens. So, what did God do? God created a altered reality to contain this situation for it to play out. I connect that to my brother who hit a tree with a dirt bike and by rights should have been dead had it not been for the Hershey Med Center that put him on life support for 73 days. He was on life support for 73 days. He was in an altered state of reality. He should have been dead. Without the life support, he would have died. Okay, but because our medical technology these days, and by God's grace, we were able to keep him in a place where he should not have been alive. It gave his body a chance to fight and heal so now he can live. That's exactly what I see how God worked. The moment Adam and Eve ate the... The moment Lucifer iniquity was found in his heart, he should have died because he was now operating... Not God didn't kill him. He chose to live outside of the principles of love. He should have died. But God said, we're going to put him on life support. We're going to put earth on life support. We're putting everything on life support right now. 
to give this thing a chance to play out so that everyone can answer their questions. That's how I view all of that. So then how does that explain, like, the Moses situation, right? When he went up on the mountain, like, I mean, he sinned to the point, right, that he wasn't even allowed to enter the promised land. And that was, you know, so obviously he was not done sinning at that point when he went up on the mountain and met with God, but he didn't die. So is that another... So was God's presence fully or was God's presence veiled in that moment? The Bible account, God's presence was very veiled in the clouds, in the smoke. And when Moses says, I want to see you, and God said, I'm going to hide you in this rock and I'm going to cause my hinder parts, right? Just a little bit of me to pass before you because if I unveil all of it, you can't handle it. In other words, if I pull life support and you get all of it, you're not going to survive on your own right now. That's how I understand that. We could go on and on and on, but we're out of time. So this is this is some good stuff, yeah? To wrap it up, to have a view of God who says, I care about you so much that we're going to put you, this whole thing on life support, in my mind, is a God that can be trusted, in my view. That's an amazing God. And I think that's where it connects to, we don't deserve it. Right? In the New Testament, it, it talks about that. God passed over the former sins of old. And all this idea, he didn't allow the natural consequences to happen because he put everything on life support so it can play out. Because if he didn't do this, then there's going to be a whole, right? It's not about earth. It's not about humans, okay? It's about the universe. The great controversy is about humans, angels, God, principalities and powers in heavenly places. All of those things are, also have questions too. So it's a much bigger concept. Mark, do you want to close in prayer? Sure. Father in heaven, Lord, thank you so much for the Sabbath day and for us coming together and learning more about you. Lord, as we go through our weeks, please be with all of us. Guide us, protect us, and help us grow. Thank you so much for friends and fellowship, Lord, and, and just, just thank you for the peace that you bring. It's in Jesus' name we pray and give thanks. Amen. Amen. Amen.